Good morning. Everybody doing all right today? Come on. If you're thankful to be in the house of God, worshiping him, let's give him some praise this morning. Come on. Wasn't that worship good? Come on now. Woo. Hey, also, uh, we need to give a special shout out this morning. Uh, we got a lot of incredible people that serve around here and, and make it so that y'all can be in here right now with, without your kids if they couldn't be in here and taking care of babies and changing diapers and your crazy kids are over there and kid life and they're all that and they love it and all that. But we got some people that gave a little extra this morning. That's the parking team. Will you guys give our parking team a hand? Come on now. They are literally willing to lay down their lives for you. I went out there in between services and we only lost a couple between services. So we're still, we're still doing all right. No, they're okay, but I appreciate them. This morning we're gonna talk about making every day count. So it is definitely aimed at a theme of a new year, a new season, all those types of things. And uh, it is a new year, and I, I know a lot of us may be making some New Year's resolutions, those types of things, but, but I also know that a lot of times we have a tendency to procrastinate on things because it feels like we got a reset, right? So we have all these days ahead of us, so we think, well, yeah, I want, I want to do some of these things, but I, I'll start tomorrow or next week, or next month, or a couple months from now, and, and we just, we just kind of keep pushing things off. How many of y'all would admit that you're a little bit of a procrastinator? Procrastinators in the room? The real procrastinator is going to raise their hand a little bit. They'll be like, yeah, that's me. But all of us have a tendency to do that from time to time, and I, and I think it happens if we don't understand the value of today, the value of the time that we've been given so that's what I want to talk about today, because I think a lot of us, we've got some dreams that are in our hearts, and every single person should have a God-sized dream in your heart. And what I mean by that is a God-sized dream, you'll know it's a God-sized dream when it's something, there ain't no way you can do it on your own. That's when you know that it's a God-sized dream. So all of us should have those things, but they're not just some dream somewhere out there that someday maybe they'll happen. No, you've got to start understanding that those dreams begin to happen Today, an Olympic athlete standing on the podium, that dream didn't just happen when they were standing on the podium. The dream happened months and years and in the grind of every day, practice and pain that led up to that moment. But they had to see that happening. They had to value each opportunity in each day. Tomorrow night, we're going to watch a national championship for college football. I don't know how anybody could be an Alabama fan, but if you are, we are praying for you. But this is what I will say. No matter what you have to say about Alabama, you've got to respect what Coach Satan, I mean Coach Saban, the way that he leads that team. I think that he understands the concept of the value of every day. He certainly understands the value of preparation. My understanding is that after one of the national championships that he, he won, the very next day after they had won the national championship, he was meeting with a recruit. The very next day. I'm sure people are like, man, what? take a break. Like, you just won. Take a break. You don't need to be out recruiting. And he made a great point, and that is there's no better day in the whole season to recruit than the day after you just won a national championship and you're inviting someone to come and be a part of that. The question is, are you winning? 
Are you spending your days making them count for something bigger than yourself? A big question would be, if you really want to win, is how do you keep Christ at the center of your day, of your every day? Well, I think we have to address, first of all, what would keep him out of the center of it? What is it that causes us to drift from a place where we're actually making every day count for something eternal, something bigger than ourselves? Really, you have to go back to the original sin. Let's look at that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, I mean, come on, did he really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Well, you certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open. And you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable, everybody say desirable. Also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Idiots. So this is the original sin, and billions of people for hundreds of generations since then have been dealing with the consequences of it. But what was the original sin? Because the original sin had a lot less to do with rebellion and had a lot to do with her desire. What she was desiring. That put her in a position where she would say, man, why is God trying to keep something good from me? God must be trying to make my life miserable. God probably just doesn't want me to have any fun. And at that moment, she could not have what she desired, and God would not give her what she desired. And so she thought, well, today, I'm going to get my own desires. Today, I'm going to trust in my own wisdom, my own decision-making. Today... I'm going to desire a piece of fruit over God. And I'm sure there's a part of this thing, and I'm, it's just today. And, and tomorrow, if, it's, if I'm wrong, if I'm off track, I'll get it back together. Like, I'll come back to God at some point. But, but right now, I have this desire that I want, and I'm going to go get it. And I don't really care what anybody says or what it costs. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, there's that word again, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The problem with this thinking that I can have a better day but I'm just going to have to go get that better day on my own is always going to be a really dangerous day for you. It's kind of the way the kids process things. You know, because kids think it this way. Like, no, I know mom and dad told me not to go and do that, but I'm seven, so surely I know better than they know. Surely I can make better decisions. Why would they want to keep me from doing that anyway? Maybe some of you, you're old enough now that 
your kids are older, and so now they start coming back around. They start telling you about all the stuff that they used to do that you never knew anything about. Because they thought, well, there's been enough time. They won't kill us now. So they're telling you stuff like, yeah, Dad, we used to play tag using BB guns. Yeah, we, should, we sure used to do that. I ate glass once. It tastes pretty good. We used to tie firecrackers to the cat's tail and then light them. Just kidding. It wasn't our cat. It was a neighbor's cat. But in all, in all reality, it's probably better that you didn't know about this stuff because it would have been way more dangerous for them if you had known at the time that they had done those things. But when you get to that place, when you think that you know better and that you think that you know what you need better than what Jesus knows about your needs, man, that is a very dangerous place to be. It leads you down a road that you never intended to go down. And, and the reality is this, if you don't answer the question now of what it takes to keep Jesus at the center of your day, if you don't answer that question now, it is going to lead to a lot more serious questions down the road. Questions like, Lord, will you help heal my marriage? Lord, will I, will I ever be in a place where I'm not lonely? Lord, will, will my kid ever love me again? Lord, are you going to help me to ever be financially stable again? Lord, why don't I feel loved? Lord, why, why do I always feel so sad? I think in most cases, not all, but a lot of cases, when we get to the place when we start asking those questions, it's because we didn't answer the most important question earlier on. And that is, how do, how do I keep Jesus in the center of my day? You've got to answer that question. And it's essential to knowing how to make every day count. Ecclesiastes 11.8 says, People ought to enjoy every day of their lives, no matter how long they live. The ironic thing is, this is out of a book that's all about how meaningless life is away from God. And I do believe that God wants you to enjoy your life, but I find that most people haven't really enjoyed much of their lives ever. They have moments and times where they're happy, but it's fleeting, but they're not really living the life of joy that God has for them. Why? It's simple. Because they're not considering God's will in the middle of their every day. Like, God, what do you want me to do? Because God designed us to fulfill one purpose, and it's eternal. It's not temporary. But until we're considering what that means and how it's involved in our decision-making and interactions with the people around us, we're never going to find that place of joy and peace. We're just going to medicate ourselves with things that can make us happy for just a little bit, but it's not going to last. It's going to go away. And, and here's the thing. God gives us answers. He gives us wisdom of how to live each day. This is what it says in Psalm 39, verse 4. It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. How encouraging. Like you probably don't put that one up in your mirror and read it every morning before you go off. Yeah, that's just, ah, my life is just a breath. Ha. But what it's saying, what it's encouraging with is, look, one of the ways you live every day and make it count is you have to understand that your days are numbered. You've got to live with that realization. But here's the deal. There's, there's two different ways that you answer this. Because 
The statement, well, you only live once, has caused a lot of destruction in people's lives if you answer it the way that Eve answered it. But if you answer it the way that Jesus answers it, it changes it. Since I only have this life to live, how am I going to live it? But if you answer it the way that the world does, you are going to freak out. This is where midlife crisis come from. Because you get to that place and you start realizing, oh my goodness, like I, I'm running out of time. And so I better go and do everything that I feel like I need to do and that I want to do. And, it, and especially in men, it causes men just to act like they got aliens running around in their brains. Because they will go out and they will buy a sports car. They'll dye their hair. They'll start wearing scarves. They'll get a motorcycle and start shopping at Forever 21. Because they just think, oh, I got to be relevant again. But what's God saying? Some of y'all are like, oh, he ain't looking at me right now. Just because you bought a motorcycle, it's not bad, necessarily. But stop dyeing your hair. It's just we all know. <laughs> James 4.13 says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make some money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. What James is trying to say here is, if you live like you think you have an excess amount of time, you're going to be really foolish. Because if you think that you have an excess amount of time, you won't value your time. I'll just go, I'm a, I don't know, maybe this year I'm just going to go do this for a little while. I don't really know. You won't value the moments, the time that God has given you. Moses is a great example. He could tell us a lot about this. In Moses' life, the first third of his life, man, he had it made because he was a prince, a pharaoh. Man, he, he lived under the, the best knowledge, the best of everything that you could possibly have. That's where Moses was living. But the second third of his life, he lived on the backside of a desert, wilderness, herding sheep. And there's nothing wrong with herding sheep except that that was not his calling and purpose. He was away from God for a third of his life. And then finally, in the last third of his life, he finally stepped into the will of God. He lived out the rest of his life one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. In fact, the word says he was the most humble man that ever lived. He wrote that about himself, but it wouldn't be in there unless it were true. But he would tell us, man, don't waste two-thirds of your life Chasing after stuff that doesn't really mean anything. But there's also a lot of redemption in that because the last third of his life was the most fulfilling life that he could have had once he finally got to that spot. But I think he would exhort us, like, don't wait. Find that place. In fact, he, he actually wrote a couple psalms about this. A lot of people think that David wrote all the psalms. David actually wrote about half of the psalms, and Moses actually wrote a couple of psalms. One of them was in Psalm 90, verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He learned from his life experience, like, whew, we've got to understand that we're limited in our time. So here's a question. I think it's a big question. It's an important question to answer. If you had 30 days to live, if you knew that you only had 30 more days to live, how would you live differently? If you only had 30 days to live, how would you live differently? 
Now, I'm not talking about skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, and 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fulman Shoe. I'm not talking about all that. Like, I'm talking like your everyday realistic life. Because some people, they would do that. It would be all about the bucket list. Like, that's all I'm going to worry about now. But, but, but is that living for eternity? I'll give you another example. Let's just say that, let's say I came into church on one Sunday, and I came over to this section, just this section right over here. And I said, hey, from this day forward, every day, every day, um, I'm going to put $86,400 in your bank account every day. Y'all be like, I love this church. <laughs> this is awesome. Except for all y'all. Y'all be like, well, wait, hold on. What's about why did you live? But then I put a qualifier. And I said, but here's the deal. I will put that money in your bank account every day. But at the end of every day, whatever you haven't spent, I'll take it back. I guarantee you, you are going to figure out ways to spend every single penny of that money. I mean, this parking lot would be even more full of jacked up, redneck trucks. Bass Pro Shop would be empty. There would be nothing left there. A lot of y'all would just live on Amazon Prime all day long, just, just pushing that button, just, just purchasing stuff all day long. You would figure out a way to spend it. Well, here's the thing. Every day, God gives you 86,400 seconds. And at the end of that day, they're gone. Do you value that time like you would value money? Because here's the bottom line. You can get more money, but you can never get more time. You can never buy more time. You can't save time. You can't extend time. You can't make time. You can't borrow time. You either use it or you lose it. Some of the stats and the study of how people are using the minutes, the seconds of their life. 11 years watching TV. 15 to 20 years looking at your phone. Some of y'all is like way more than that. 25 years of your life sleeping. 25 years at work. Two years at Walmart. Online shopping, people, I'm just telling you, it'll save your life. You either use what God has given you or you miss it. Acts 20, 24, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. I want to be like this guy, Cornelius, who was in the Bible. And there's just a brief portion of scripture that describes who this guy was. And it says that he was a godly man, deeply reverent. He just respected the Lord. He just, he honored the Lord. As was his entire household. Man, what a great thing if all of my kids would follow the Lord, know the Lord. He gave generously. He was a man of prayer. And I want to be those things, but I know that it doesn't happen on accident. I have to make every day count. So how do we do it? I'm going to give you a couple things I think that could help. I think it's important to start the year with Christ up close and personal. Like close to God. There's a passage of scripture in the Old Testament I think that describes and gives us an understanding of how God speaks. If I want to put Christ in the center of my day, if I want to put God at the center of my day, if I want to make every day count, 
I'm going to have to have a close relationship with him, which means there's going to have to be some communication. There's going to have to be some dialogue and not just monologue between the two of us. But let's, let's look at this because I think we can learn what happens and the reasons why sometimes we, we can't get that. It says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, The Lord said, this is talking about Elijah, a prophet. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. How many of you guys want the Lord to pass by you at one point or another? I know I do. I'm, there are five hands raised. I'm a, little, I'm a little concerned right now. Look, you want God to pass by your life. The problem is you don't want him to pass by without you noticing. Okay, so he's getting ready to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But guess what? The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a whisper. And that was God. He was in the whisper. Elijah was supposed to be listening for God. Instead, he's listening to earth, wind, and fire. Not, not, not this earth, wind, and fire. Not this one. How, y'all, how many of y'all like some earth, wind, and fire? Come on, admit it. Play some more. Y'all, y'all know you want to get your bell bottoms out right now. Okay, turn it off. If you don't like that playing in church, you're too religious and you're going to hate it here. <laughs> Not that one. Here's the thing. I think that, I think those things can represent different things. I don't like the earthquake. Man, just the things that kind of shake, shake up things in your life. Disorient, disheveled. And it's hard to hear God. Or, or maybe the wind. Just the noise, your feelings. Feelings are like the wind. You never know which way they're going to blow you. Or the fire, maybe just devastation. You lost something, you're losing something. But guess what? God's not in the middle of those things you can see. He's in a whisper and he still wants to speak to you in spite of those things. If you could hear his voice. Anybody have that one kid that's the whisper kid? What I mean by that, it's like all the rest of your kids are super loud, but this one kid, you can never hear anything that they're saying. They're just always super quiet. And like on the whole, like my family is a pretty loud family. Like we're all pretty like outgoing, loud, boisterous, strong-willed. They get it from their mom. But, uh, but we're, we're all like that. But our, we have one, one of our kids, so he's our whisper kid. It's Reeves. And sometimes, like, well, like everybody would be doing something, and he's just over there. <laughs> what? What? Reeves? <laughs> or everybody would be quiet. What, Reeves? I was just saying, I wanted some water. Get some water. I don't know. Sometimes he gets really frustrated. <laughs> It's like, no, loud whisper doesn't help, like talking a normal voice. But here's the thing he has learned. Everybody's going to have to be quiet and lean in 
and listen to him. And that's the way God likes to work. He wants everything to quiet down and you to lean in. And then he'll whisper. He doesn't want to talk to you, but he is not going to scream above the noise of your schedule in life. You ever been to a, a, a football arena, a big arena, like way before anybody shows up, way before the game? A few years back, I got to go to, to the, where the, the Falcons play for the Air Force in, in that stadium. I was in there pretty much before anybody else was. There's just a few people around. The cool thing was, like, I was on one side, like, way across, and on, on the opposite end of the stadium, there were a couple guys, like, having a conversation about something that had to do with the game, playing, talking in normal voices. I could hear everything that they were saying. As soon as the game started, I couldn't hear the person sitting next to me. Could not have a conversation. And I think sometimes we need to get rid of all the noise and the voices. And if you do, if you will quiet your life and put some margin for the presence of God and time with him, his voice will get clearer to you. It'll be a lot easier to hear it. And you can even hear it in a big place with a lot of big things going on, you'll still be able to hear his voice. I think one of the ways that you can do this is by fasting. And this next week, as a church, we're gonna start fasting as a church. And some of you are like, oh my, are you saying that I am not gonna eat for a week? I knew we came to the wrong church. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. And that's not what we're asking you to do. God might ask you to do that, but I'm not asking you to do that. But this is what the point of the whole week is gonna be. It's can we get rid of something in our life so that we can get more God? Can we, can we sacrifice something that makes us comfortable, something we would normally do, something that we want, something that makes us feel good? Can we sacrifice something like that so that we can just get more of God. I think fasting does a few things. First of all, it helps you compare your hunger. What I mean by that is it helps you compare what you're really hungry for. What are you really hungry for? When you normally would eat something, but you're willing to give it up, your soul is saying, do I really want God or do I really want that prime rib, mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese? And right now you're like, I think I, want, I think I want the steak, James. I think I really just want the steak. <laughs> but the point is when you're willing to say, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, and I do want it, but I am making the choice of what I'm really hungry for. And I'd much rather really be hungry for God than hungry for this other stuff. It helps you compare your hunger. It also helps you measure where your heart's at. Because as a culture, one of the things that we do is we self-medicate. And, and one of the primary things that we self-medicate with is we, we self-medicate with entertainment and food. Right? So you're like, man, I don't care if my boss stinks. I hate my job. That person cussed me out, flipped me off. As long as I can go zone out watching The Walking Dead and I can eat a double meat cheeseburger, I'm good to go. I'll be all right. As long as I can at one point or another just medicate it. Okay, well, the problem is what's in your heart eventually will come out. But what fasting does is it helps you get rid of what you would usually self-medicate with, which you would you give up something like that. 
so that you can measure where your heart's really at. Because you ever been around somebody that's been fasting for a couple days, especially if they fast food, it's like everything comes out and it's scary. Like you've seen the movie The Exorcist, it's just like, it's bad. It's just like, and it's good for you to get to a place sometimes where you know exactly where your heart's at. But sometimes you got to get rid of the things that you medicate your heart with to see what's really in there. And here's the thing, like there's a lot of different things that you could fast in order to get to that point. Uh, sometimes I've, I've fasted just sweets, I, I fast candy. Uh, there's been other times when I'll fast social media. There's been other times when I'll do a food fast or, 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 I'll, or I'll supplement it with juice or I'll do a Daniel fast which, where you get rid of some foods or you can have other foods. And I'll do different things. Sometimes I'll, I'll fast caffeine and happiness together. <laughs> but the point is, you just get rid of something that you normally wouldn't even think twice about. When you go to reach for it, you're like, oh, yeah, no. I want God. I want God. It's more important than anything else. And, I, and also what it does is it helps break what binds you. Because when you you say, I want my flesh to die, I want God to be strong. And a lot of times, things that you struggle with, things that you, bad attitudes, a lot of different things, those things begin to break down. God can help reveal them, help set you free from them. Your spiritual senses are heightened when you fast. So you get to hear from God a lot clearer. Another thing, turn when into now. Turn when into now. Proverbs 12, 24 the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. In other words, you got to pay now or you'll pay later. You're either going to pay now so you can play later or you don't pay now and you'll still have to pay later. You got to make the decision like, man, I've got to quit putting this off because too many people live with a when and then mentality and when and then thinking. Like when I graduate college, then I'll really go after God. Or when I get married, then I'll go after the things of God. When, well, when my marriage gets stronger, then I'll go and go after God. When I get out of debt, then I'll be a giver. When my kids get older and move out, that's when I'm really gonna get involved serving in the church and doing more for God. And the problem with that is one of these days it ends up being none of these days. There's always going to be something that will fill your schedule. There will always be something that would love to be a priority in your life. And the enemy is still up to the same thing where he gets our thinking away from the things of God and, and on the things that are reasonable and on the things that are average and the things that are acceptable. But just because they're average just because they're acceptable doesn't mean that they're beneficial. Doesn't mean that they really are going to do anything for you. The last. What are you waiting on? I see way too many people, and they're not intending to, but if they're really honest, they're putting God off. It's like, oh, okay, God, all right, I'll get to it. I'll get to you. I'll get to that thing. I'll get to your plan. I'll get to it. I hurt my hand just now. When I hit it on the table, I just want to be honest about that. 
it now. If you can see God using you in any way, the reality is it's either now or never. There's way too many people waiting for their boat to come in, their ship to come in, not enough people putting on their bathing suit and swimming out to it and just saying, let's get it. Let's go do this thing. Quit waiting, do it now. 2 Corinthians 6.2, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now. Make wisdom the goal, not knowledge. Make wisdom the goal, not knowledge. This is what the Bible says about asking for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. He will give it to you. It goes on to say, though, but if you... If you ask, you should believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like the wave in the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Remember what I said about wind? It's like your feelings. You will be blown and tossed. God wants to give you wisdom. We live in a culture of knowledge, but we do not live in a culture of wisdom. And there is a big difference between the two because you can know a whole lot but not how to apply wisdom to it and you will still be a fool. And we live in a culture, and the Bible actually says that in the last days, people will add to their knowledge. People will add to their knowledge. That's fine, but that doesn't mean it's wisdom. What is wisdom? It's applied knowledge. More specifically, it's taking knowledge and applying the word of God to it in a wise way. God wants you to have wisdom. And, but it only comes through seeking him. It only comes from his Holy Spirit. It's not just knowing, but it's doing what you know to do. The problem is rarely knowledge. Usually it's not that people just don't know. Like if I went and asked you right now, like what are your New Year's resolutions? All of you, you'd have like the right answers to this. You're like, well, I'm, I'm going to pray more. And I'm going to read my Bible. And I'm going to spend more time with my kids. And I'm going to go on date nights. And I'm going to stop kicking the pets so much. And I'm going to... I'm going to do all these things. And you'd have all the right answers. But it doesn't mean anything if you can't apply wisdom to it. If you don't live in a wise way, saying, okay, those are great goals, but how am I going to value the time in my day and the word of God enough to apply his truth to it, to make them happen? James 4.17 says, anyone then who knows the good to do and doesn't do it, sins. I want to close out with this. How many of y'all, a lot of y'all probably got flu shots this last year, maybe recently. Why do you get the flu shot? To not get the flu, right? What is a flu shot? It's the flu. They give you a little bit of the flu so you don't get like the big flu. In the South, in the Bible Belt, we have a major spiritual issue. And that is that every week we get a little bit of Jesus and it inoculates us from ever getting the real thing. There's more. You, you don't have to just get your Jesus on Sunday. I got a little bit of Jesus, I'm good. No, there's so much more. There's so much more, but we deceive ourselves. Like if, if I could just, we essentially, we almost build an immunity to his presence, to like real relationship. And I just want to tell you as your pastor, I refuse to live my life on repeat. 
I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to live this year the same way I did last year. And there was nothing wrong with last year. But I don't want the same year. I want something new. And it's going to happen in the presence of God. And I promise you this. That is my priority. I want you to know I care more and more about me growing than I care about you growing. And that may sound selfish, but at the end of the day, I got nothing to give unless I get it from God first. So I've got to get in his presence. I've got to walk to the mountain of God. I've got to get in his presence and it's got to change me so that when I come away from it, my countenance isn't me, it's him. But it's got to be a priority and I'm going to make it a priority. And I'm just asking you, if you want to make every day count, you're going to have to at one point or another get on your face either in your heart or literally before your loving God and say, you're my priority. You're the most important thing to me. And I may have all these things, but I'm going to let your spirit and your word dictate how I feel myself schedule, what I do with my kids, what I do with my wife, because in that is life and life to the full. And Jesus didn't come and die just so I can have my life on repeat. Jesus came and died so that I can see an eternal purpose, where I can see souls, where I can see people that need help, where I can see people that need love and compassion. And I can see all this around me and still do something. That's what God has for you. This last week I read, I read this word. In the Hebrew, the word for year is the word shana. Shana. But there's two different meanings for this word shana. Two different meanings, depending on the context and who's saying it. Most of the time in the Bible, when God would speak about a year, a time that is a year, when he would say the word shana, it meant change. Change. So many other times when the word was used, either in the Bible or just in every day, in the Hebrew, it was the word repeat. Repeat. I'm just telling you, I'm interested in living my Shana in the presence of God so I can see change instead of the presence of anything or anyone else and just see a repeat. I'm just not going to do it. God has something for you this year. God has something for you. God has something for you. Make every day count. It's worth it. Amen? Amen. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand this morning. Let's pray. Everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around right now. In spite of me, I know that the presence of God is here. In spite of you, he's here. In spite of us all, he loves us and he's here. He wants to meet with us, his presence. And some of you, you need his presence. You need a relationship with him. And the thing is, you may have a lot of knowledge about God. You may have a lot of knowledge about church. You may even have a lot of knowledge about his word. But at the end of the day, knowledge doesn't mean anything unless you have a relationship with him. That relationship comes in a place of humility. It comes in a place of weakness where you just admit you know what? I'm a sinner and I can't save myself and I can't pay the price that has to be paid. But Jesus did and I believe in my heart and I'll confess with my mouth that he died. He rose from the grave. He has a plan and a purpose for my life and that in my weakness, his power will be made perfect. And it's in that place daily, daily, Admitting that you need him, you're desperate for him, you can't live without him. That in that place is a place of relationship. In that place is a place of dialogue with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And not just a monologue where you throw prayers at him every once in a while, but you never feel like anything's coming back. 
There's a place where God will speak to you. There is a place where God will give you a plan and a purpose. There's a place of that. But you have to surrender your life to him. You want him to have control. You want him to give him your plan. He has to be Lord for that to happen. If you're here today and you've never done that, you've never surrendered to him, or maybe you did, but you are way off track. You know that you're away from God. You sense it in your spirit. You're tired of playing games. You're tired of just coming to church because it's the good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. You're ready to start hearing from the presence of God. You're ready to start hearing his voice again. So maybe you need to rededicate your life. If you're either one of those people, now, today, is the day of salvation. Would you be bold enough to respond to him? And if that's you, nobody's looking around. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but would you be bold enough to put your hand up right now? As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down, but if that's you, put them up right now. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, yes sir, got it. God's gonna honor anybody else. If you don't think that I looked in your direction, I just, I just want to confirm this in you. Raising your hand doesn't get you saved. Raise your hand doesn't get you saved. Got it, yes, couple there, got you guys. But I think it's important that in faith you use action. Just say, I admit that I need a savior. I need his grace, got it right here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Got it, thanks sir. Thanks for being bold. Thanks for being bold. Come on, it's the strongest place you'll ever be, right here. Yes, ma'am. Got it. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Come on, Christians are praying. This is this is the best chance for a real new year. Anybody else? person that just raised your hand. Let's just talk to him for a second, okay? Uh, I want you to know that, that we have overcomplicated talking to God. And, and I have to admit, sometimes it's pastors and sometimes it's church that has done it. But I want you just to talk to God. Look, you'll understand reverence for him. You'll understand the vastness of who he is as you get to know him more and it'll humble you and, and you will honor him and you will you're gonna, you'll talk to him respectfully. But what's most important to God is that you can just come to him honest and real and transparent and sincere. Don't, you don't have to talk to him or act different. He knows you. He knows you. It doesn't matter if you change the words. He still knows you. So just talk to him. But say something like this. Say, God, here's my life. And man, is it messed up. And, and I know that I can't fix it. And I don't want to try to fix it anymore on my own. But I know, I know that you sent your son Jesus. And I don't understand everything about it. And, and it's complicated. And I don't get it. But I know in my heart right now, this is the right thing. That, that I believe that he paid the price on the cross. He rose from the grave. He's in heaven. He's preparing a place for me. But, but I don't want to wait for heaven. I, I want to respond to him now. And, and I know that. I can't control my own life and I'm bad at it. So I give you control, Jesus. I make you my Lord, the Lord of my life. Be my savior. Help me to understand your word. And as I read it, help, help me to find other people that'll help me understand it, encourage me and challenge me. And 
God, I want to be led by your spirit. I want to know your purpose. I don't want to know what you've called me to do, what you've asked me to do. So speak to me. Speak to me. I'm going to, I'm going to make it a priority every day, God, that I'm going, to, I'm going to still the things around me. I'm going to be quiet before you. and I'm going to let you speak to me. I'm going to let you speak to me. God, we need that. For every person to just pray that for the rest of us, God, help us, help us not to live another year void of purpose, void of your presence. There's nothing better than your presence, God. Nothing better. Help us, God, to make every day count for your kingdom. And it's for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you're thankful for new beginnings in his word, let's give the Lord a hand this morning, amen.